ChatGPT may have the clunkiest, least memorable name in software history. But once you've seen it, oh, it's memorable, all right. Look, this machine can generate this piece of writing that's as good as what someone would write it themselves could generate. And that seems exciting and rather astonishing in many ways. Think of it as turbocharging your job as a lawyer or a doctor or a writer or writing songs or creating art, doing it better than you ever could have before. I think that we should be really terrified of this whole thing. I'm David Pogue, and this is Unsung Science. matchup between your two favorite teams and you're at the game getting the most from what it means to be here with American Express. You breeze through the card member entrance, stop by the lounge. Now it's almost tip-off and everyone's already on their feet. This is gonna be good. That's the powerful backing of American Express. See how to elevate your live sports experience at americanexpress.com slash with Amex. Eligible American Express card required. Benefits vary by card and by venue. Terms apply. June's Journey is a fascinating hidden object mystery gaming app where you'll play as June Parker, tasked with a daunting obligation, solve your sister's murder. Set in the 1920s, the era of glitz and glam, this family mystery is one for the ages. Everyone's a suspect until your investigation determines otherwise. The clues are all around you, hidden within tricky twists and turns. You'll collect detailed information about each character in your photo album where you'll comb over every detail. You can even join a detective's club to chat and play with others or against them in the detective's league. With hundreds of puzzles to solve, you should probably get started today. Discover your inner detective when you download June's Journey for free today on iOS and Android. Season 2, Episode 4, AI and the End of Writing. Before we dive in, I would just like to say, welcome back. This is the first regular episode of Season 2. From here on, we'll be unleashing a new Unsung Science episode every other Friday. And you know what else I'd like to say? Thank you. Your emails, tweets, reviews, and ratings have made this whole enterprise super exciting and super fun. Today's episode is about what may be the most amazing artificial intelligence software you've ever seen, with what may be the dumbest name. It's ChatGPT. Not only is that utterly uncatchy, but even if you know what it stands for, you still don't get it. GPT is Generative Pre-Trained Transformer. Well, that's helpful. Anyway, in AI circles, ChatGPT is what's called a large language model, software trained by feeding it massive amounts of existing written material. And after that, it can generate new text on command. It can write anything to your specifications. It's free. You can try it out at chat.openai.com. Like, I can type in... Write a limerick about the effects of artificial intelligence on the future of humanity. And we get this. There once was AI so grand, it could help us with tasks at hand. But it also might do harm if its actions lack charm. So we must use it with care and command. Or let's try this. Tell the story of Goldilocks in the style of the King James Bible. And it came to pass in those days that a certain young damsel named Goldilocks did wander into the dwelling of three bears who were away from their home. And she did behold a bowl of porridge on the table. And she did taste the porridge of the first bear, and it was too hot. And she did taste the porridge of the second bear, 
and it was too cold. But the porridge of the third bear was just right, and she did eat it all. In case you're wondering what happens to Goldilocks, the story ends like this. And thus it was written, the Goldilocks and the three bears were forever remembered for this story of trial and error, and the importance of respecting the possessions of others. By the way, the voice of ChatGPT's output in this episode belongs to Keaton Talmadge. She's a professional voice actor. And, by the way, Buster Keaton's great-granddaughter. Hey, Keaton. Hi. Thank you for doing this. It's just hard for our podcast listeners to read what's on my screen. Of course, anytime. ChatGPT can also write letters, poems, homework, essays, outlines, recipes, interview questions, even computer code, even song lyrics, even song lyrics about my career. Here, write song lyrics from the point of view of a former Broadway conductor who grew up to host a storytelling podcast about science and technology. Once a conductor on Broadway, now he's found a new way to share his love of science and tech. Oh, hold on, Keaton. Sorry, I got this one. Once a conductor on Broadway, now he's found a new way to share his love of science and tech. On a podcast, he'll take you on a trek. He's a different kind of conductor now, guiding you through science and technology. Sharing tales of progress now It shapes the world we live in You'll see Thank you, thank you Tip your server And now there's one more demo thing I gotta do Apparently it's a journalistic law Any story about ChatGPT Must let ChatGPT write the introduction For the story itself I mean, at this point, it's a tired, obvious gag. But look, I wouldn't want to break one of the core tenets of journalism. So here, write an introduction to an episode of Unsung Science about the promise and perils of ChatGPT. Welcome to the latest episode of Unsung Science, where we explore the cutting-edge technology that's shaping our world. Today, we're talking about ChatGPT, a language model that's taking the internet... Okay, boring... But now I can type, make it funnier. And now I get. Welcome to the latest episode of Unsung Science, where we explore the technology that's shaping our world, or at least trying to. Today we're talking about ChatGPT, the language model that's taking over the world, one typo at a time. So put on your thinking caps or just your headphones and join us as we explore the hilarious and sometimes terrifying world of ChatGPT. Dang. That's actually not bad. Anyway, as you can imagine, ChatGPT is freaking people out. Within a week of its release, a million people were using it. Microsoft, which has a billion-dollar investment in OpenAI, that's the company behind ChatGPT, has announced that it will build it into Word and PowerPoint. And OpenAI itself is in talks to sell shares at a price that would put the company's value at $29 billion. Some people are super excited by the potential of this software. I think this is huge. I wouldn't be surprised 50 years from now, people look back and say, wow, that was a really seminal set of inventions that happened in the early 2020s. I think we're going to have potentially the best decade of flourishing of creativity that we've ever had because a whole bunch of people, lots more people than before, are going to be able to contribute to our collective 
art, and science. This is Eric Brynjolfsson. He's a Stanford professor and director of Stanford's Digital Economy Lab. He's got a lot of great stories about how ChatGPT has been helpful. I happened to be the last speaker at this AI conference. And for fun, I decided to have ChatGPT help me with my comments. So first I had to just do it straight up the way Eric Brynjolfsson would, would say it. But then to have more fun, I said, now do it in the style of Taylor Swift. Oh my God, it was so beautiful. You know, the metaphors, the examples that came out of it. It can also be a godsend if you're not great at writing or not great at English. One of my colleagues at Stanford had a grad student um, who gave a research proposal to him. And she was from another country and, and it was kind of muddled and he couldn't quite get like, what's the point of your proposal? I don't understand it. He had GPT write it in a clearer way for him. And then he's like, aha, now I get what you're trying to say. These tools can help them express things, thoughts that they had, they weren't quite able to put in the right words. To him, ChatGPT represents the ideal use of AI, augmenting our own abilities. The greatest benefit comes from when humans and machines work together. And specifically with these tools, they work a lot better with humans in the loop than they do on their own. So think of it as turbocharging your job as a, as a lawyer or a doctor or a writer or writing songs or creating art, doing it better than you ever could have before. Then there's the story of CocoCares.org, a free crowdsourced mental health hotline, primarily for adolescents who are having trouble. Its co-founder, Rob Morris, tried a little experiment. When someone in trouble texted in, the counselors had the option of letting ChatGPT write the response. For example, one person wrote in saying, I'm trying to become a better me and having a hard time. And the AI responded, I hear you. It's hard to make changes in our lives, especially when we're trying to do it alone. But you're not alone. There are people here who care about you and want to help you. I send you love and support as you go through this journey. Morris tweeted a video about the experiment. He was impressed. Um, the AI on its own in a matter of seconds wrote a really nice articulate response here. So we ran an experiment where we tested it on about 30,000 posts. Responses were rated more favorably when they were co-written by the AI and they were done in well over half the time. Still, this experiment really upset a lot of people who called it unethical and maybe even illegal. I mean, how would these struggling teenagers react if they found out that those caring responses were AI auto-text? As it turns out, not very well. Morris later tweeted, Once people learned that the messages were co-created by a machine, it didn't work. Simulated empathy feels weird, empty. A chatbot response that's generated in three seconds, no matter how elegant, feels cheap somehow. <laughs> you think? Anyway, so yes, lots of potential. But also, so many questions we have to work out. And really, there are six big ones. Six doozies that perhaps should have been addressed before AI writing bots got unleashed to the world. After the ads, we'll bring some experts on board to help us make sense of them. If you travel for work, you know to pack two suits, business and swim. You know with your Delta Sky Miles Business Amex card, buying that plane ticket for a business trip can get you closer to medallion status. You know that a meeting in Montana means visiting almost every national park. Yellowstone? Check. 
Because you're the chief excursion officer. It's why you're a Delta SkyMiles Platinum Business American Express card member. If you travel, you know. Terms apply. Visit go.amex slash you know business. Across America, BP supports more than 275,000 jobs to keep energy flowing. Jobs like building grid-scale solar energy in Ohio and producing gas with fewer operational emissions in Texas. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America. Welcome back. I promised that we'd work through the six massive problems that large language models like ChatGPT present. Six real doozies. Doozy number one is this. Now that AI can write anything we want in any style, is there any point in teaching anyone to write anymore? I mean, school kids are already using ChatGPT to write their homework for them. Like this. Write a high school English paper about race in To Kill a Mockingbird. In Harper Lee's To Kill a Mockingbird, the theme of race is heavily present throughout the novel. The story takes place in Maycomb, Alabama during the 1930s, a time when racial prejudice and discrimination were the norm. The novel follows the life of a young girl named Scout Finch as she grows up and learns about the harsh reality of racism in her community. Editorials are already flying with headlines like ChatGPT will end high school English and will ChatGPT end the student essay? Look, this machine can generate this piece of writing that's as good as what someone that would write it themselves could generate. And that seems exciting and rather astonishing in many ways. Jane Rosenzweig is the director of the Writing Center at Harvard. I think writing is a way of figuring out what you think. And so if a machine is doing the writing, then we need to ask ourselves, where are we figuring out what we think? You don't need to know structure or syntax or vocabulary or grammar or spelling. But even beyond the structure, the syntax or the grammar or the spelling, which are all important things to putting together a piece of writing that an audience could understand, I think I worry the most about just that thinking piece. I say to my students, what do you want to understand? What do you want to know about the world, about the topic that we're thinking about? First, you read things that other people have said about this thing that you want to understand. You talk to people. We have class discussions. And in the process of writing about that, you often start examining evidence and trying to make an argument about what you think. And so a very common piece of advice that I give my students is look in your conclusion because you write yourself to that main idea. So what happens if instead of going through that process, what if instead you just type the prompt into chat GPT and got the answer there? What do we lose? I mean, what do we lose? You would lose figuring out what you think. At the moment, educators all over the world are struggling to figure out how to proceed. The New York City school system, the biggest one in the country, has banned ChatGPT outright. What do you hear in the educational industry from people who are confronted with this? There are these possible paths that people can take with ChatGPT, right? You can turn it off. You can embrace it fully and say, we're going to use this as as a teaching tool in these different ways. Or you can come out somewhere in between. For example, I think a lot of 
people have been talking about this idea. Well, perhaps what's going to happen is that our students will stop being writers and they will become editors. So we will say to them, let's generate three or four different answers to this prompt using chat GPT. And then let's talk about that in class. My initial reaction to that was, are we doing this because chat GPT exists? Or are we doing this because it's better than other things that we've already done? To what question is this the answer when we're talking about replacing human writing, human thinking, human teaching with a machine? What, why are we doing this? To what question is this the answer? OpenAI declined an interview, but offered a statement. We don't want ChatGPT to be used for misleading purposes in schools or anywhere else. Our policy states that when sharing content, all users should clearly indicate that it is generated by AI in a way no one could reasonably miss or misunderstand. And we're already developing a tool to help anyone identify text generated by ChatGPT. More on that tool in a minute. Here's what OpenAI's own website gives as the reason it created ChatGPT. To help make AI systems more natural to interact with. But that doesn't really answer the question why. And educators are stuck with finding their way out of this mess. Doozy number two has to do with how ChatGPT was trained by hoovering up hundreds of millions of articles on the internet. And I know this might come as something of a shock, but not everything on the internet turns out to be true. The problem is, It'll just sort of parrot back what was on the internet, right? It did, wasn't taught to understand what is fact, what is fiction, or anything like that. What it has learned how to do is tell you the most probable sequences of things as it's seen on the internet. Timnit Gebru is an AI researcher, kind of a big deal AI researcher. She was the one who co-authored the 2018 study about face recognition software from IBM, Microsoft, and Amazon, you know how its error rate on white male faces was under 1%, but it got black female faces wrong about 35% of the time. Anyway, she points out that ChatGPT's answers sound super confident and authoritative, and that makes them even more insidious. The fact that you can even get grammatically correct answers can deceive you even more right? Because you think this is coming from a person. You don't even have the cues that generally would tell you that something might be wrong. It can give you completely wrong answers for a whole bunch of things. Okay, like here, write the history of the first woman president of the United States. The first woman president of the United States, Hillary Rodham Clinton, served as the 45th president of the United States from January 20th, 2017, to January 20th, 2025. In the general election, Clinton faced off against Republican nominee Donald Trump. Clinton won the election by a narrow margin, becoming the first woman in history to be elected president of the United States. Okay, what? There's a computer science term for this. When AI churns out baloney statements, hallucinations. Imagine how dangerous a hallucination would be if you were asking for medical advice. Doozy number three is related, and it's really terrifying. Even Stanford professor Eric Brynjolfsson thinks so. The other thing that we hear is that 
these things will be misinformation factories. Yes. Now, a Russian bad actor yes. can generate hundreds of thousands of extremely well-written, plausible yes. articles filled with phony studies and research papers. It's definitely something to worry about. We could have an enormous flood. Each of us could have hundreds, thousands, millions of spam messages sent to us, all kind of plausibly looking like they were done by humans. This could be a catastrophe, and we need to take measures to address it. Are there any that you've heard of? Any proposals? Yeah, there, there are two kinds of approaches people have taken. One is to try to identify which content is generated by a machine with watermarks or other things and say, hey, that's a problem. You know, is there sort of a signature? Oh, right, the watermark thing. OpenAI is already working on this approach, where everything ChatGPT writes will someday be encoded with some kind of digital watermark so we'll be able to differentiate AI writing from human writing. Obviously, we're not talking about something visible or even some hidden data attached to the text document. No, this would be some kind of algorithmic watermark, a statistical pattern of words or punctuation detectable by special software. It would work only on longish blobs of text. And of course, you could still bypass it just by rewriting it in your own words. But watermarking won't solve the misinformation thing because it's got two even bigger problems. First, ChatGPT isn't the only large language model. Google, for example, has one that they say is even better than OpenAI's, but they haven't released it to the public, precisely because of the potential problems we're talking about. Anyway, the point is there will be lots of these things, and not all of their creators will install guardrails the way OpenAI has. The second problem with watermarks is, as Timnit Gebru points out, The thing is that um, this is now a game of cat and mouse. So anytime people know there is such a system, they're going to try to game it. And then people will update the watermarking system and they're going to try to game it. And I think that's what's going to happen. Okay, doozy number four is the job losses, or at least job changes. Most of the U.S. economy is knowledge and information work, and that's who's going to be most squarely affected by this. I would put people like uh, lawyers right at the top of the list. Obviously, a lot of copywriters, um, screenwriters, fiction. And then a lot of other people use writing. Essentially, nurses do a lot of writing. Doctors do a lot of writing. Professors uh, will be affected. But I like to use the word affected, not replaced, because I think if done right, it's not going to be AI replacing lawyers. It's going to be lawyers working with AI replacing lawyers who don't work with AI. <laughs> There will be at least one new job category made possible by ChatGPT, by the way. I mean, there's a, a new occupation that's emerging. It's called prompt engineering. And prompt engineering is how do you write a prompt that really evokes the most from GPT? It's funny how slightly different changes in the prompt can lead to very different outcomes. And even the designers don't fully understand how to write the prompts to get the most from the tool. Prompt engineering is uh, emerging as a way of getting the most from these tools. Wow. That'll be a new one. Uh, in, the, in the 2025 uh, census of occupational codes, I think uh, that may be one of the entries. Doozy number five is, as Timnit calls it, automated plagiarism. OpenAI trained ChatGPT on real people's writing, including Timnit's, including mine. Once OpenAI becomes a $29 billion company, do you really think they're going to pay us for the writing they incorporated without consulting us? 
if, let's say you owned a restaurant, right? You wouldn't go to a market and steal all the tomatoes and uh, carrots and then make your creation and sell it back to the people who, you know, you took tomatoes and carrots from, right? We understand that to be theft. Why is this different? How do we understand this differently? You can't steal raw ingredients, make something, and then sell it back to the people you stole raw ingredients from. Finally, doozy number six, that we're mistaking writing for creativity. ChatGPT is not sentient. It's not human. It can't really think. All it does is a really good impersonation of things thousands of people have already written. It's like a parrot. Precisely. And so parrots, uh, we don't, you know, we hear them repeating things that they've heard, right? And we think it's funny. We think it's entertaining. But we're not saying that parrots understand what's going on and they, you know, can predict the future or anything like that, right? Where we just think it's really interesting that they can parrot back what they've seen. And so these large language models are doing a version of that. You do hear that a lot that ChatGPT is basically a really powerful pastiche machine. You know, all it can do is mimic stuff that other people have already written and therefore can never leapfrog to something new. But Eric Brynjolfsson has a different take. I think that's a fundamental misunderstanding. I mean, a lot of innovation really is kind of a combinatoric business and input-output business, uh, either implicitly or explicitly. When I come up with new ideas, I'm combining different existing old ideas like Lego blocks and to create something new. And that's what these large language models do as well. When I've seen some of the content, I, I like, wow, that's a beautiful metaphor that it just made never been said before. By the way, this is probably a good time to mention the 8,000 ton elephant in the room, ChatGPT4. OpenAI has always been transparent about the limitations of the current version, ChatGPT3. Here's what CEO Sam Altman tweeted about it. ChatGPT is incredibly limited, but good enough at some things to create a misleading impression of greatness. It's a mistake to be relying on it for anything important right now. But version 4, now in testing, is slated to come out later this year. OpenAI trained it on 500 times as much data as the current version. And people who've seen it say it's like seeing the face of God. A very senior person working, he, he basically described it as a phase change. You know, it's like it's like going from water to steam. It's just a whole nother level of, of ability. That's important because already there's such a thing as a chat GPT detector. A Princeton student named Edward Tian wrote one, for example. It's a web-based app called GPT Zero that got 7 million uses in a matter of days. You paste in some text and it gives you a guess as to whether it's human or synthetic writing. But when ChatGPT4 comes out, I mean, will those things even have a chance? It's going to be another arms race at best. So, I don't know, man. The more I read about ChatGPT, the more I talk to people, the more I realize that there are three camps, three ways of looking at the invention of large language models. First, there's what I call the Skynet philosophy. Remember Skynet in the Terminator movies? I need to know how Skynet gets built. The Skynet funding bill is passed. The system goes online on August 4th, 1997. Human decisions are removed from strategic defense. Skynet begins to learn at a geometric rate. It becomes self-aware at 2.14 a.m. Eastern Time, August 29th. 
You could also call it the iRobot philosophy or the Matrix philosophy or the Avengers Age of Ultron philosophy because they all have basically the same plot. Anyway, the point is the Skynet philosophy says that we've just unleashed something that might be marketed as a useful tool, but we haven't really thought it through. That's pretty much where AI researcher Timnit Gebru falls. I think that we should be really terrified of this whole thing. We should understand the harms before we proliferate something everywhere uh, and mitigate those risks before we put something like this out there. The second possible approach is the coexistence philosophy. You know, well, this thing is here and we'll adapt. On the great spectrum of panic, seems like that's where Harvard's Jane Rosenzweig falls. I do think teaching writing will still go on. I can't predict what the next round of technology will bring, but I think it's really important for people to think about the fact that when we teach writing, we're not just teaching a set of skills that a machine can take over. A machine can do the part where it puts ideas on paper, but it can't do the part where it puts your ideas on paper. So that's, that's why I'm somewhat optimistic. Anyway, the third possible philosophy you could call the embrace our new overlords philosophy, perhaps best described by Stanford's Eric Brynjolfsson. We're going to have better essays, better stories, better art, better poems, better songs than we ever had in history. This is a tool that turbocharges what we can do compared to what we did before. You know, always in history, when some new technology comes along, like books, you know, the Greeks were like, oh my God, people are gonna stop memorizing epic poems. It's gonna be terrible for our brains or calculators. You know, how is that? How, no one's gonna know how to like take the square root of a six digit number on pen and pencil or do long division. One of the things that I'm quite convinced is that for some time, we'll wanna keep humans in the loop, that the human and machine working together. You know, these tools, anyone who's worked with them know that they can do some amazing stuff. Sometimes they can do incredibly boneheaded stuff as well. They lie. They don't understand the world entirely. And they do things that sound good on the surface, but when you think more carefully, aren't exactly right. So you want to keep the human in the loop and that cooperation of human and machines where most of the value comes. So are there other examples in history where there was some game-changing new technology that caused everybody to panic that didn't turn out to be such a big deal? Well, I would say that's the norm, not the exception. You know, he's got a point. I mean... I remember when I was in fourth grade, calculators had just been invented and my school got a set of them. And I can remember all the parents freaking out. Our kids won't learn how to do long division anymore. They won't know how to multiply big numbers anymore. The exact same kind of hysteria. And as it turns out, they were kind of right. These days, lots of kids don't know how to do those problems, but nobody's setting their hair on fire about it. Maybe AI writing bots will be like that. They'll do most of the writing and, and we'll turn our attention to other things. Sorry to interrupt there, Eric. Go on. You know, when cars were invented, there were accidents. You know, when fire was invented, some people got burned. If we waited till every technology was completely 100% had no negative effects whatsoever, you know, progress would grind to a halt. So technology has always been destroying jobs. Technology has always been creating jobs. And that churn is very natural. If you want to have higher living standards, the answer is not to try to freeze in place all the existing industries and jobs and companies. So in other words, I as a writer 
might feel momentarily like a horse and buggy driver. Yeah. <laughs> but society as a whole might wind up better off. Society as a whole. And you individually, if you embrace these technologies, I think writers like me and you will benefit from these technologies and create new kinds of content that we never were able to create before. And that could be really fun. But you know who I haven't asked about ChatGPT's effect on the future? Yeah, you guessed it. ChatGPT. I'm worried about ChatGPT's effects on education, misinformation, and jobs. As a language model, ChatGPT is a tool that can be used for a variety of purposes, both positive and negative. It is important for society as a whole to have ongoing conversations about the responsible development and deployment of AI technology. Thank you. You're welcome. If you have any other questions or concerns, feel free to ask. You've just listened to another episode of Unsung Science with David Pogue. Don't forget that the entire library of shows, along with written transcripts, await at unsungscience.com. This podcast is a joint venture of Simon & Schuster and CBS Sunday Morning, and it's produced by PRX Productions. For Simon & Schuster, the executive producers are Richard Rohrer and Chris Lynch. The PRX production team is Jocelyn Gonzalez, Morgan Flannery, Pedro Rafael Rosado, and Morgan Church. Jesse Nelson composed the Unsung Science theme music. Our fact checker is Christina Ribello, and Olivia Noble fixed the transcripts. For more of my stuff, visit davidpogue.com or follow me on Twitter at Pogue. That's P-O-G-U-E. We'd love it if you'd like and follow Unsung Science wherever you get your podcasts. And spread the word, will you? The early 2000s was a breeding ground for bad reality competition series. From shows like Kid Nation, CBS's weird Lord of the Flies-style social experiment that took 40 kids to live by themselves in a ghost town, to The Swan, a horrifying concept where women spent months undergoing a physical transformation and then were made to compete in a beauty pageant. Hi, I'm Misha Brown, and I'm the host of Wondery's podcast, The Big Flop. Each episode, comedians join me to chronicle one of the biggest pop culture fails of all time and try to answer the age-old question, who thought this was a good idea? Recently on The Big Flop, we looked at the reality TV show, The Swan. The problem, this dream opportunity quickly became a viewing nightmare. They were isolated for weeks, berated, operated on, and then were ranked by a panel of judges. Follow The Big Flop on the Wondery app or wherever you get your podcasts. Hey, it's Matt Norlander with the CBS Sports Eye on College Basketball podcast, and it is tournament time, people. So listen to the one podcast that will cover every upset, Cinderella, Bracket Buster Sleeper. We've got it all covered, every round, reaction shows, all the way up through the championship game in Glendale, Arizona. To find us, search Eye on College Basketball podcast wherever you get your podcasts.